Hi, friends out there in podcast land. This is your redheaded preacher of St. Peter's UCC, uh, United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois, Richard Lanford. And <clears throat> I'm grateful that you've tuned in for this uh, August 20th edition. I've been doing these sermons and homilies on themes lately, topical kinds of messages, and this sermon, and it's a full lengther, is on justice. And the name is, What is Justice? And I'll explain a little bit about the origin of that title right away in the message. I hope you will find uh, some things to think about out of, out of this sermon. It tries to uh, talk about justice in a, in a number of different ways while realizing that we cannot talk about all of them. It's just too broad. And um, so I, I start out with some definitions of justice and kind of leave them you know, there without denying or arguing with them. And then I turn to the scriptures and uh, then we're off. So uh, hang in there. Like I said, it's full length. My mom once said that if a sermon isn't 20 minutes long, then it's not worth driving to get to church for and listen to. And when she said that, we lived 20 minutes away from the First Congregational Church of Minnesota. And I've never forgotten that. But as you know, most of my messages are not 20 minutes long. And this one is not either. But, uh, you know, it's a little closer than some of them. So, as I said, hang in there. And um, I look forward to seeing you, hearing from you. Well, I won't hear from you, but I look forward to um, to your listening to me, I hope, <laughs> still, uh, at the end of this podcast. So here we go. Olivia Altmeyer is our lector. And by the way, she is a graduate of law school. And so, though we did not have the opportunity to try to put together a dialogue sermon, she's very busy, as am I, and to do a dialogue sermon, you know, it takes a lot of extra time and work in communication and in putting one's heads together, agreeing on language and uh, and everything like that. So a dialogue sermon is rare because of the extra time that often people do not have. So the next voice you hear will be that of an attorney and a member of St. Peter's. Let's go. In our gospel lesson, Jesus reads from the scroll of the book of the prophet Isaiah. It has authority for him, provides us with a key part of his identity, and also of his mission. Like those in the synagogue who heard Jesus, we too are about to hear the reading of scriptures. May it it enlighten us as it did Jesus and was used to tell his listeners some of the inclusive nature of his ministry. So please join me in the spirit of prayer for our prayer of illumination. Let us pray. Holy One, we look to you for righteousness and wisdom. We look to the law for justice, but what we find is often not just at all. We open your word, open our ears and minds. As we we open your word, open our ears and minds that we might perceive your understanding of what is right, of what constitutes justice. In the name of the word made flesh, we pray. Amen. Our first readings are from the Old Testament. In short order, I will read Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25, then Psalm 82, verses 1 through 4. 
Bringing the Hebrew scriptures to a conclusion, I will read Proverbs 31, verses 6 through 9. I'll let you know when we switch from one to another. First, Exodus 21 through, first then, Exodus 21, 22 through 25. Moses is giving the law. When people who are fighting injure a pregnant woman so that there is a miscarriage, and yet no further harm follows, the one responsible shall be fined what the woman's husband demands, paying as much as the judges determine. If any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And now Psalm 82, the first four verses. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Salah. Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This ends the reading from Psalm 82. Bringing up the end are verses 6 through 9 in Proverbs chapter 31. Give strong drink to one who is perishing, and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. Speak out for those who cannot speak, for the rights of all the destitute. Speak out, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. This ends the reading from the Old Testament. Will those who are able please stand up for the reading of the Gospel lesson? This morning, it is Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. We find the already traveling Jesus coming home and attending his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, where he, as he was asked to read and teach. By the end of the passage, most will wish that they had not. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless, you will quote me, quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself, and you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard, we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine all over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. 
There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Here ends the reading from the Gospel and our scripture readings for this morning's worship. Thanks be to God for this, the word of God for the people of God. Justice. It's a word I've used hundreds, if not thousands, of times in sermons over the years. And let us also remember to thank God for Barb and Jim's wedding anniversary, which is, it is today, I believe. It is today. So may uh, we thank God for that, for, for your witness of, and of covenant faithfulness. We'll see you downstairs. Justice is a word I've used hundreds, if not thousands, of times over, in sermons over the years. And I came to see that justice is a broad enough word that what I mean by justice may not be what someone in the pews means. It can lead folks to asking. Just what does he mean by justice? What might you mean by it? In pursuing some definitions, I found, and this isn't the only one, I found this online from Ethics Unwrapped out of the McCombs School of Business at the University of Texas. It's a single sentence. Justice is a complicated concept that at its core requires fairness. Justice is a complex, complicated concept that at its core requires fairness. Now I began this idea of, oh, I think I'll preach about justice and talk about what it is. I began by thinking that justice is defined as equal treatment under the law. Well, I still think that's not a bad definition. In a previous edition, I, can, can, I looked elsewhere, you know, what other people say justice is. In a previous edition of Webster's New World Dictionary, Justice is defined as, one, fairness, two, rightfulness, three, reward or penalty as deserved, four, the use of authority to uphold what is just, five, the administration of law, six, a judge or justice of the peace, do justice to treat fairly. So I looked up fair in that dictionary, the root of fairness, where I found just and honest, slash, according to the rules. Yeah, but are the rules fair? Who wrote them? And what were their biases? On that same Ethics Unwrapped webpage, I found a more substantial definition for a sermon and a church like this. Again, I quote, justice for many people, refers to fairness. But while justice is important to almost everyone, it means different things to different groups. For instance, social justice is the notion that everyone deserves equal economic, political, and social opportunities irrespective of race, gender, or religion. Distributive justice refers to the equitable allocation of assets in society. Environmental justice is the fair treatment of all people 
with regard to environmental burdens and benefits. Restorative or corrective justice seeks to make whole those who have suffered unfairly. Retributive justice or retributive justice seeks to punish wrongdoers objectively and proportionately. And procedural justice refers to implementing legal decisions in accordance with fair and unbiased processes. Justice is one of the most important moral values in the spheres of law and politics, it continued. Legal and political systems that maintain law and order are desirable, but they cannot accomplish either unless they also achieve justice. That's all good, too much for one sermon. As people of the book, not wanting to deny any of those, we may want to ground our beliefs about what justice is in the Bible. Now, taken to an extreme and in violation of the First Amendment, that sentiment is what moved Justice Roy Moore to get marble slabs with the Ten Commandments inscribed and bring them into the Alabama courthouse. Now, although I understood his point, that many believe the moral law is the basis of civil law, we are not a theocracy. So, what are some of the biblical teachings of fairness slash justice, which makes sense in our multi-faith and no-faith United States of America, and yet our scripture. Well, here's an example of a version of injustice which we will not find in the Torah or the New Testament. In the movie The Untouchables, Sean Connery and Kevin Costner's characters are talking about Al Capone. Costner's Elliot Ness keeps saying all he wants to do is to get Capone, but how? It's got to be within the law. Connery, as Jimmy Malone says, you want to get Capone? This is how you get him. He pulls a knife, you come back with a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. It's justice by escalation of violence. Meanwhile, back in the book of Exodus, as we heard Olivia read, God's law says, if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, foot burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Well, first of all, I'm always reminded of uh, I believe it was Gandhi who said, if we all do an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we will leave the world blind and toothless. So I have to get that out of my system. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, burn for a burn. Now some of you know this in Latin as the lex talionis. That means law of retaliation, or in effect, a law that limits retribution to be equal to the initial damage done, but no more than that. No escalation of damages in pursuit of retribution, but a claim of payback corresponding to the injury that was done. It was meant to limit blood feuds from evolving into something bigger, more dangerous, and more violent, unjust. It set up a tit-for-tat, even though it can be most painful. So we see this core of biblical justice, this core of which we seek understanding, 
is not the Chicago way of Jimmy Malone. It sounds equalizing. The Old Testament, of course, also addresses injustice more deeply than I can today. God is uniquely aware of and sensitive to oppression, bribery, murder, theft, assault, and more. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the rights of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked, which implies they are in the hand of the wicked. Rescue them from that, goes Psalm 82. God wants the wicked shown zero favoritism, but rather that their victims, often the needy, be rescued. God loves justice or fairness. The Lord hates, as we hear, wickedness and exploitation of the vulnerable. That's justice, too, rolling back injustice. We also hear that in one of my favorite passages, Proverbs 31. Speak out for those who cannot speak, for the rights of all the destitute. Speak out, judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy because God is explicitly teaching us the poor and disadvantaged have rights, just like the rest of the house of Israel, the rest of humankind. Money often bribes those in power to overlook those rights, to forget them, to not enforce them, but act as if they are not there. I'll contribute to your campaign fund if you make this decision for me. That leaves the poor without the protection of their rights. Money, well, money doesn't talk at swears, as Bob Dylan famously once sang, and sometimes I think of that too, but it doesn't always. But it leaves the poor without the protection of their rights. Justice is when you and I and the legislatures and the courts proactively look out for those who may not be in the majority, who are left behind us by so many, without the proverbial boots or bootstraps with which to pull themselves up. Look out then for voter suppression or making voting less accessible to people. Look out for systemic intimidation, underrepresentation, and restore when possible what has been taken illegally, unjustly from the victims of such forces, practices, and sometimes laws. In my first year in Chicago, speaking of St. Nikolai, one of my mentors was the Reverend Dick West. As the pastor of St. John UCC on Moffat Street, he would host youth groups from other churches whom he would talk about socioeconomic injustice with. And he, would brought, up, he brought up the bootstraps phrase, which in the 1980s, that was going around a lot, as many were repeating that, pull themselves up by their bootstraps as a reason not to support things like the Great Society programs. He would have one of the youth come forward and lie down on the ground in front of everyone. And then another was summoned to sit on his shins. And he was dubbed, or she was dubbed, addiction. Another came up upon being called and held his or her wrists down. He represented troubled parents like the dad in prison and the mom working two jobs, their absence negatively affecting his discipline and often educational growth, and as someone who spent a handful of years 
as a member of this local school council of Avondale School, that's a reality. It does happen. Yet another would be called up, and we learn that this person on the ground has become a person of color, perhaps does not speak English very well, and the youth sat on his stomach. Poverty came forward and held down the ankles. And now Dick would say, how is this a person supposed to pull themselves up by their bootstraps? They don't even really have boots, let alone bootstraps. Such are those whose rights may not always be supported or enforced, but whose need for assistance sometimes goes unheard or worked against. We are not to keep such oppressed persons or groups down. As Booker T. Washington said, one cannot hold another man down in the ditch without remaining down in the ditch with him. It makes me wonder what names we know might be down in that ditch holding that man, that youth, that family, unable to get up, unable to access their rights. It is not the Yahweh way. It is not the way of Christ or Christ's people. It is not the way of justice. Rather, we are to support the exercise of the rights of the destitute to speak out and stand up for them to work to see that they're there and accessed, lest wicked and wickedness and injustice prevail and persevere and progressively distort families and communities. That is justice. Justice means righting the wrongs of and pushing back against what is unjust, unfair, or worse, as well as we also have the lex talionis. That's, a, that's part of what we're talking about, too. But there are different aspects to this, to what justice is. I mentioned at the beginning that justice has been described, at least by me at one point, uh, equal treatment under the law. Now the illustration from Dick West's youth group meetings also asks, is equal treatment under the law ever, or is it really equal? We do not all come to the starting gate of the race of life with the same advantages or strengths or disadvantages. We do not all come to the starting gate with bootstraps with which to try and pull ourselves up. And those who do still may not get the privileges of others who have a different skin color or bank account or standing in the body politic or links within the judicial or the legislative system they can access. Justice demands fairness within the laws and in their equal enforcement. Knowing, understanding that there are many who come to the starting gate hobbled like the youth on the floor. If we don't ever say anything about this, silence equals death. When a train of injustice is not resisted, there's a vacuum, and that vacuum is a lubricant for the wheels of wickedness to keep right on going. Hey, there's no problem. No one's resisting this. It's cool. It can be viewed then as a free ride where there's no accountability. The Bible teaches about justice that we are to speak up for the rights of the downtrodden and defend, which is more than just speaking up, defend the rights of the impoverished and disadvantaged, that they are protected, and that includes the fairness of the laws and the treatment they and all of us receive. receive. I think justice also wants to confirm the fairness of the laws, as I mentioned. Are all laws just, even if they're legal? 
Ask our trans people watching state legislatures, those who find it harder to vote because laws made it that way, or the hundreds of thousands of families who lost loved ones to OxyContin addiction due to the lies and immorality of Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family. Now their family's ability to sue them for civil damages has been challenged by court, by Purdue Pharma. A deal then has been struck. A deal was struck with the family and the company. The this deal would allow the company to emerge from bankruptcy as a separate identity with its profits used to fight the opioid epidemic. Members of the Sackler family would contribute up to $6 billion to fighting opioid addiction. But a key component of the agreement would shield those family members who are not seeking bankruptcy protection as individuals from lawsuits. They'll still be billionaires and you can't sue them personally as family members who were behind this company, behind this injustice and wickedness and all these deaths. Is such a law allowing that just? Or the sentencing just? I was glad to learn that the Supreme Court just temporarily blocked that nationwide settlement that had been reached. And later this year, the High Court will hear arguments before the end of the year over whether that settlement can proceed. Justice demands the rights of the poor and destitute be honored. Justice is that which probes the fairness of laws and if they're fairly applied. Lastly, for people of faith, if not the courts and congresses, justice is what Jesus claimed as a mission statement. And with this, I will lead to a close. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Well, justice is good news to the poor. Spiritually, yes, but the Jewish prophets were very earthy in their ethics. Good news to the poor indicates a legit road out of poverty. Justice is about that, because that's fairness. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. We've all heard about prisoners doing long sentences for drug possession, but not necessarily any acts of violence. Justice revisits them to see if they were overly harsh sentences. Release to the captives might be the result. Some families, some African-American families, may still be living under the captivity leveled to their World War II vets of a couple of generations back who did not get the GI Bill to enter the middle class after fighting in World War II. To let the oppressed go free, which recognizes the unjust use of power and privilege, that's a reality to take on. What is justice? There are complications in theory and application. It's a huge subject. I mean, it takes three years to go to law school, for most students anyway. But we can say this, justice ensures the rights and protections of the poor, or is it justice? Justice is about fairness in laws, in their enforcement, it is about fairness coming to the oppressed and the victims of injustice, to the law books and courtrooms where there is no partiality except. If you follow some teachings of the Roman Catholic and liberal churches, there is what's called God's preferential option for the poor.
that too may indeed be what justice is. Amen. Now, I have a bit of a confession to make. And, uh, and uh, what's the word I want to use? An accreditation to make. Uh, the confession I want to make is that this sermon was extremely hard for me to write. Uh, it took me the better part of three days. And when I rehearsed it Sunday morning, I still was scratching stuff out and thinking, what am I saying? What is this? And uh, thinking I might be talking out of both sides of my mouth. So I tried to clean that up as best I can. And um, so that's a little bit of a confession. And then the, um, the props, the accreditation goes to Laura Olson, who was the one who talked to me about the Sackler family and the Purdue Pharma lawsuit and how unfair it was that, that they may not even get to be, uh, they may get to be protected from civil lawsuits because of this, um, this what's the word, I, it was in the sermon, this um, settlement that was made. And um, where's the, she talked about all these hundreds of thousands of people who died, you know, as addicts. And that's not a, a fun way to go and uh, not certainly horrible for the families and loved ones involved. So she's the one that brought that to my attention. I researched it a bit from there and gave you the updated, uh, the update on what's going on with the Supreme Court. But that's an illustration that uh, she didn't even suggest it to me necessarily, but she gets the credit for bringing it to my attention. And then a preacher does what a preacher is going to do with what they think fits. So thanks to Laura. And thanks to all of you. I hope that the Holy Spirit did make some of my hard-to-understand or comprehend sentences comprehensible. That's it for this week. Next Sunday will be our outdoor service at Laurel Park. And I've already got the subject picked out. And the subject of the message is going to be prayer. Thanks once more. And once more, may God bless you, and may God bless your week. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to the Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much for